0: Anyway, we're going to have a look at how Jesus, because he is a high priest, he's, he's the true high priest. We're going to have a look at how he is superior high priest to the Levitical order of high priests. Now, Hebrews is great because it talks about how Jesus is better. There's better so many, so many better things in Hebrews. so I've got, I've got quite a few things that I want to tell you about Jesus being better. We saw that the the Levitical high priest was chosen from among men because he understood man, he was a man, so he could empathize and understand our weakness and represent people to God. Well Jesus, who was God's son actually became a man. He laid aside his majesty and became a man so that he could understand along with us what it was like to be weak. Because we sin all the time we sin. But Jesus didn't sin. He was perfect. He is in a better position to be a mediator between us and God. Far better than an earthly man priest. The Levitical priests were chosen by God but only for so long as they lived and then it passed on to their son whereas jesus also chosen by god he has better qual- better qualifications because he's god's own son and he never dies he lives forever so he, his um, intervention between us and god is going to last forever and then there's an interesting one that we read in that first in that first scripture we read God designated uh, Jesus to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, whereas the Levitical high priest had to be an ancestor of Aaron, Moses' brother. Jesus didn't even come from the tribe of Levite. He came from the tribe of Judah. So in an earthly sense, he could never have become a high priest. But um, as the author of Hebrews goes to quite a lot of pains to explain he actually comes, is in the order of Melchizedek, who was a greater high priest than Aaron. We first hear about Melchizedek in the life of Abraham. Before he became Abraham, when he was still Abraham, he fought a battle, rescued his nephew Lot. And then this priest, king of Salem, came out. King of Salem is the older name for Jerusalem. This man, Melchizedek, was the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace, but he was also a priest. And he blessed Abraham as he was, and Abraham tithed the tenth, so the tenth of the portion of the spoils of the war he gave to Melchizedek. And both the blessing from Melchizedek and Abraham tithing to him showed that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, and Abraham was a great man. He was chosen by God to be the forefather of the people of God, the chosen people of God. But the sense that, he, that the author of Hebrews gives us is that Levi was in the body of Abraham when he tithed to Melchizedek. So Melchizedek, do you understand this? Melchizedek is a higher priest than Abraham Abraham. Uh, son Levi could ever be So the high priests That came from the line of Aaron Were just not as good But God Said that Jesus was a priest In the order of Melchizedek So a greater high priest Than the one that came from the line of Aaron Jesus also offers a better covenant with better promises. The covenant that the Levitical priesthood offered was a covenant of law. The law showed man how wicked they were, basically, because it's difficult to keep laws. very difficult for the people to just keep the Ten Commandments. We break them. Um, and so that's, the law can't make anything perfect. The law just shows you how sinful you are. But Jesus is better. He has a better covenant. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 to 12. From verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, the Levitical priests, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that, time declares, after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and, re- and will remember their sins no more. So the- these are better promises um, with better benefits. God is saying in that last part of that verse that His laws will become inner principles and the people will delight to do as well, rather than just obeying rules. And He also says in that bit that He will have intimate fellowship with His people, and sinful ignorance will be removed forever, and the forgiveness of sins will be an everlasting reality. And that wasn't a reality for the Israelites under their laws. They had to do so many sacrifices. Not only did they have the Day of Atonement, but if you gave birth to your child, you had to go and offer a sacrifice. If you had a skin disease, you had to offer a sacrifice. And there were loads of sacrifices. So if you wanted to uh, make a vow to God, you had to offer a sacrifice first. So the priests were kept very busy, and the people were kept very busy with their sacrificing. Jesus also comes from a better sanctuary. So the priest went into an earthly temple that was man-made. Jesus went into the true Holy of Holies. In heaven, before God, is where he sprinkled his blood. So that picture of the priest sprinkling the blood of bulls and goats in front of the, the atonement seat, Jesus actually took his blood to the very presence of God in heaven and sprinkled his blood. So that blood... Was a covering for our sin. Not only did it cover our sin, but our sin has been removed completely, like that goat. God says, "As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you." And of course, Jesus's sacrifice is a better sacrifice. We read in the Bible that the blood of goats and bulls can't forgive sin. They cover sin, they can cover sin, they can't forgive sin. Can't get rid of sin. It's impossible. But Jesus' blood is able, and this part really jumped out at me. This is amazing. Instead of just covering sin and making it clean on the outside, Jesus' blood cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death. So we're clean inside and outside. And that wasn't available to those people in the Old Testament. How they would be envious of us. When they look down at us from heaven, that great cloud of witnesses, they must look at us and think, gosh, do these people really know what they've got? I'm sure that's what they think. I want to read Hebrews 10, 11 to 18 for you. you don't have to turn there. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. This is Jesus. He sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because he was finished his work. The priests continually stand before God. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're not holy. We are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them in their minds. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. God didn't change the rules, but he provided us with a greater high priest and a greater sacrifice. Only Jesus, who was the Son of God, who lived a sinless life, could serve as both priest and be the sacrifice. So this is the best, but what does this mean for us now? If you haven't already picked up a few things about what it means for us, I've got a few pointers here as we come down for landing. Um, it means exactly the same for us now, as it meant. For the early Christians, the Jewish Christians in the first century, Jerusalem, exactly the same. Grace and forgiveness is available to us. Sin separates us from God. And everyone who has sinned falls short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Human efforts can't remove Sinfulness and restore us to a good relationship with God The blood of bulls and goats Can't restore that relationship between us Can't remove sin And remember we're not only God's, God's grace and forgiveness doesn't only cleanse the outside of us Make us clean He makes inside clean as well So we receive this grace and forgiveness by placing our faith in Jesus as our sole means of being forgiven and reconciled to God. All we need to do is, as John read out with the communion, um, something that St. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, that all we need to do is we need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And... The job Jesus did in atoning for our sins and taking away the guilt from us was perfect. But even though we're forgiven, as a lot of you will know, we will still sin. There are still times where we're going to fall and do the wrong thing or not do the right thing. And in those times, it's not for us to run and hide or try to make ourselves worthy by our own effort. That's when we need to turn to Jesus again Because he is our mediator. He is the only mediator between us and God. He's our high priest in heaven. Jesus, if we confess our sins to him, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now you remember I talked about the curtain that was erected in in front of the Holy of Holies in the tent of meeting. The first place was the holy place where the priests could go and serve. And then behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant with the presence of God. And that was in the tabernacle. Well, eventually the Israelites built a a temple out of stone. And they had the same kind of room in their temple, also called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go in once a year. Well, at the very moment that Jesus died on the cross... In the temple, in Jerusalem, that no longer exists, the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. It was a supernatural act of God. And he was declaring right there that the way to God was open for anybody. Anybody can now approach God because of the forgiveness of Jesus, because of the shed blood of Jesus that has atoned for our sins. And we can approach God with freedom and confidence, In Hebrews, again, it tells us, um, the author says, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We don't need an earthly temple anymore because Jesus continually leads us into the presence of God. And we have a greater privilege than those people who lived under the old covenant. Jesus On one of his journeys through Samaria, I think he was probably going from his home in Capernaum down to Jerusalem, and he traveled through Samaria, and the the Samaritans were Jewish, but they'd kind of diverted from the Jews. And um, they were enemies. The Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. The Samaritans said that They should worship God on a mountain in Samaria. And the Jews said, No, 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 you've got it all wrong. We worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. Anyway, most Jews would avoid Samaria. They would walk a long way around to do the trip Jesus did. But Jesus went straight through Samaria. And he went to a well for some water. His disciples had left him alone. And he met up with a woman who's known as the Samaritan woman. And in their conversation, she asked him, where should we worship God? She recognized that he was a teacher, a rabbi. So she, maybe she was kind of stirring the pot, I don't know. She said, well, where should we worship? Do we worship here, as our people say, on the mountain in, in Samaria? Or should we be worshiping like the Jews say in Jerusalem? And Jesus' reply was this, he said, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus was looking ahead to, to the time where he would make that sacrifice as a high priest. He would make that sacrifice and go before God in the heavenly true temple and cover our sin and forgive our sin and take our sin away. And that's the time he's saying, it's not, we don't have a temple anymore. We need to worship God in spirit. Um, When our spirits are made alive by the Holy Spirit, by the spirit of God, that's when we can worship God in the true knowledge of who he is and what he does. And that's how we should worship today. Worship is a life response to who God is. Worship, I think um, we've kind of led people astray in the church for a long time by calling the bit that we do in the beginning, the singing bit, as worship. Or even some churches call their Sunday service, the worship, we're going to worship. But actually, that, those things are just part Of what worship is. Worship is our whole life response. It's everything we do. It's who we are. It's what we talk about. What we think about. It's. We worship in God when our attitudes, actions and words. Declare that he alone is worthy of our praise. I'm amazed by what God has done for us. He's taken our sin away, he's cleansed our consciences, he's made a way that we can boldly approach God, we can talk to God. In fact, Jesus said, call him our father, when he told the disciples how to pray. This is how you should pray, our father who is in heaven. God is our father, we can have a personal relationship with him, because he has taken away our sin by allowing his own son to be the sacrifice and to be the priest that officiated that, It's gone. The sin, as far as the east is from the west, once we've confessed our sin and repented before God, sin is no longer an issue at all. Let's worship him in spirit and in truth. I I, I really was blown away by the fact that God cleanses our consciences. We're not just clean outwardly. Our consciences are clean. It doesn't matter what we've done, where we've sinned, how long we've sinned for, how bad the sin was. One sinner is is as bad as all of them when it comes to our relationship with God. But Jesus has literally made the way clear. It's like he parted all the chairs and said, "There's there's your aisle. Go down. Go and see God. And it just takes a heart cry to talk to God. So I would like to encourage everybody from seasoned Christians to those here who maybe don't know God, who have who your sins weigh heavily on you. Like John said, when he, when he first accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he felt like he was walking on air. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He lifts off that heavy burden of sin from us. Seek God, worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen.